Good morning. So good to see each one of you this morning as we've come on this beautiful Sunday morning to gather into God's presence and worship Him. Let me read Psalm 34. The first few verses say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That third verse, magnify the Lord. In other words, it's talking about let us tell of the Lord's greatness this morning. And so as we worship him through these songs, that's what we're doing is we're telling of the Lord's greatness to one another and to him And so I invite you to stand with us and let's exalt his name together. Oh, 
may not be sharp right away but there is a difference there is a difference between building on sand and building on granite but it's so tempting to build on sand the voices will say that yes the Lord is building his church but here's how you can get things going they're clever and witty and pragmatic 
Their ways seem wise. Just read the books and view the models. Just do the analysis and study the numbers. Do the work. You'll see the success. It falls to us, doesn't it? Make no mistake. There is a difference. It's time to remember that we are at war. But it's time to remember that we are not alone. And that Jesus is the only one who builds his church. That apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That we labor in vain unless Jesus works with us and in us. Will you go the easy way that promises much but leads only to temporary success? Or will you go to wait upon the Lord who carried the cross and serve him? Will you go with the wide, easy road or the hard road? What will you choose because there is a difference? Will it be slogging in futility or abiding in vitality? Will it be the ways of man and his lack of wisdom or the ways of God and his power? Will it be pragmatic programming, attracting crowds and building databases or honest, spirit-led, fueled by the word of God, lit on high revival? Will it be the strength of your hands or the strength of God's hands? Will it be the kingdom of man or the kingdom of the living God? This is the word of the Lord to us, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The birth of the church brought forth the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not maintained by the power of man, man's best practices or principles or programs. But the kingdom of God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge you this morning with a question right out of the gate. Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you seeing the Spirit work in your life? Ministry takes place by inspiration, not perspiration. It is not what you can do to accomplish ministry, but it's what God does through you, in you. And it only comes by the power of His Spirit. God empowers His people to do that work, to do that work that He's called us to do, to build the kingdom of God, but not based on our premises or precepts or presuppositions, but by the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And if you're not walking in the Spirit, then... Well, quite frankly, your engine is dead. We need to understand where that power comes from, and we're going to see that today. Robert Baer said it well. Bethlehem was God with us. Calvary was God for us. Pentecost is God in us. It is God that is in us to accomplish His will and His glory. And Pentecost was the day... That God released His Spirit into the world, into the church, to birth the church, to empower His people for the work of ministry, to be a witness to the world. The witness of the power of God that transforms lives. And we got to say from that point forward, it is important for us to understand that, that 
we shouldn't be praying, Holy Spirit, come dwell within us. Because if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. But you can pray, Holy Spirit, let me experience you afresh. Let me experience your power afresh as I walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It's a decision you'll have to make. Every day, you come to a fork in the road. Am I going to do it my way, my best effort, or am I going to do it God's way? Am I going to do it man-led, emotionally led, structured on my best idea, or am I going to do it the way that the Spirit is leading me? And you say, well, Carrie, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how the Spirit would lead. We're going to walk through how the Spirit leads this morning. As we take a look at Acts, the first chapter of Acts really was the transition of ministry. Ministry was taking place through Jesus Christ incarnate on earth with the twelve disciples, but he was the primary force that was working through that. And in Acts chapter 1, we're told that he had gathered the disciples together, gave them instructions, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Go and wait. Within that, 40 days would be accomplished of ministry preparation with Jesus. He would spend 40 days in saying, look it, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving all of this in your hands. If you ever want to see faith in Jesus, that is great faith. Leaving the, the, the whole work that was going to happen in the hands of a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and knuckleheads. But you know, the glory in that is this. He wasn't leaving it in their hands alone. They would be the vessels and the Holy Spirit would be the empowerment to do that work. Their lives would be radically changed. And the Holy Spirit would come and create a new creation, a new kingdom. And He would be present here. You know, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, He was present in the beginning. In Genesis 1 we see the Spirit of God come. And a great event happened called creation. And then we see in the incarnation of Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. And we see the incarnation, the birth of Christ. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come again. And we see the birth of the church. The church being born out of the Spirit of God through the Spirit of God, for the purpose of witness. You have one job. One job. Be a witness. You say, well, Carrie, I don't know how to do that. That's okay. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you, will guide you, and empower you. And so this morning, we're going to see how the, the indwelling of the Spirit comes and where we should go with that. I'm going to ask, I know we've stood a bit, but I'm going to ask you to stand as we read through Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. May the Holy Spirit be the teacher this morning, inspire us as we read these passages. May He speak to your hearts, wherever you're at, may He meet you. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that, each, that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? And others were mocking and saying, They're full of sweet wine. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. So what do we learn from this? Well, one of the questions we ask is, how does the power of the Spirit come? How does the power of Spirit come upon an individual? Well, we see that they are all gathered together in one place. We know from our previous study, what were they doing as they would gather together? They had 40 days with Jesus, and then they had about a week that they were in this upper room area. And what were they doing? They were praying daily. They were coming together and they were praying and they were waiting for what? The promise of the Father. The first thing that we got to understand is that the power of God comes through prayer. By depending upon Him, by being in that place of praying. And the gift arrived just as God had said. And it came on a special day, Pentecost. You say, well, what is Pentecost? Pente means 50. It was a celebration that was all part of the Jewish calendar during that time, there were three festivals that took place. There was the festival of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Pentecost was the 50th day from the beginning of Passover. It was all part of the Jewish culture way, way back, given in the law in Leviticus. In Leviticus, we, in 23, verse 16, and you can read it later, it was established. It was the day of the ingathering. It was from the first day of the barley harvest when the sickle was to hit the ground and, and for the sheaves. From that day forward, you had 50 days, and then at that 50th day, you were to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Pentecost. It was the, the day of celebrating that which God had given, the first fruits. When you understand that God gives you everything, we've got to honor Him with the first fruits, the best of what He gives to us, whether it's tithes, offering time, or whatever. We give God the first and so there would be this establishment within the, in the culture that God got the best and God got the first. Well, as this, this 50-day celebration of Pentecost would take place, we know that this was about a seven-week period over, over that period of time. And you say, well, why on this day? God doesn't make a mistake. Do you know God's got this huge calendar in heaven? We can't see it, but He's got it. And this day was set before the beginning of time that it would be the day of the birth of the church. The day of the celebration of ingathering. 
Now, God's pretty smart. I got to thinking about this. Why would Jesus be crucified at Passover? Well, that was established, again, before the beginning of time, and he would use Exodus and the Passover to be able to, to establish the pattern of sacrifice. But why else? Guess what? Everybody's in town. Everybody was in town for the Passover. And they got to witness the crucifixion and the resurrection. Doesn't it make sense that God would wait till everybody's back in town again for the birth of the church? And that's what he did. He waited until Pentecost. When everybody was back in town and they would experience something that was going to be incredible. We know that it was also something that was special because as we're going to study next week in Peter's sermon... Over 3,000 people are saved. You want to talk about a crusade? Oh my goodness, 3,000. That would be over half, maybe half, just under half, the city of Scapoose. All saved one day from a fisherman who didn't go to cemetery. I'm sorry, seminary. You look at that. Why would Pentecost be the feast of ingathering? It was the ingathering of souls. It was the day that the Holy Spirit would come upon and prepare the disciples for the work of ministry and the sermon of Peter and the church would be born and over 3,000 people would be saved and they would be the first fruits of the new church. Powerful. God doesn't make mistakes. His timing is perfect. We know in Acts 1.15, Peter would lead within this, and he would, he would lead in the whole group within this. In 115 it says, At this time Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, gathering about 120 persons were all together there. They were all gathered. So this was a big room. It was an upper room or a big house within this place. They were all gathered in one place, all gathered together, waiting for what? One thing. Waiting for one thing. Can you imagine? 120 people focused. One thing. Praying, one thing. Waiting, one thing. They don't know how it's going to come. They know it's going to happen. God's promise. What is it going to look like? What are we going to experience? All of that. The anticipation. God said it. Could it be seven days? Could it be ten days? Could it be thirty days? It didn't matter. They were there. They were committed. They weren't, they weren't thinking about all the other things they could be doing. They were all focused with one mind, and they were devoting themselves, as Acts 1.14 says. These were all with one mind, continuing devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women of Mary and the mother of Jesus. And, and they were all together praying. Prayer is essential to access the power of God. If you are not praying, you're not plugged in. You're not plugged in. You say, God, I want you to do amazing things in my life. Are you praying for them? Are you waiting in prayer? No, I'm just throwing up my shopping list. No, you've got to pray. Prayer is how we connect with God. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. I love that. It says, don't have anxiety for anything. Be anxious for nothing. But what is the solution for anxiety? But in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Three forms of prayer. General prayer. Giving to God what you need. 
and giving thanks for what He has done, let your requests be made known to God. In everything. I could put a whole lot of psychologists out of business. You know how we do that? Teach people to pray. Teach people to wait. And teach people to walk in faith. It was in faith that all of these were gathered together in one spot. Why? Because Jesus made them a promise. Does God ever break His promises? No. Never. Never. God is capable of keeping all of His promises. You know, a promise is only as valuable as the one who has the power to fulfill it. And God is all-powerful, capable of fulfilling all of those promises. So what are we doing when we pray? We are plugging in to God as the source of our life and for power within this. It's how we encounter with God. It's the means by which God has given us access to the throne. Do you realize through prayer, you have access to God's throne of grace? You get to come into the presence of the Creator of the universe, Holy God, through prayer. And you are connected. And there is no barrier because it's been removed because Jesus removed that barrier when He died on the cross, forgave us of our sins. We have access to God. There is nothing that limits you from coming to God in prayer. Well, there is one thing. You. When you don't pray. All of these were together in one place, praying together. Finding that place of intimacy and grace and the reality of the presence. They were there. And, and we think about this sacred hour of prayer where you get to be in the sacred presence of God. To be able to be connected. The church itself was born through prayer. We need to understand that that is, that is how we connect to God. That is how we remain connected to God. And that is how we receive and access the power of the Holy Spirit is through prayer. You want to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Pray. And God fulfills His promises. How does He fulfill His promises? In His timing and in His means and in His method. If you look at verses 2 through 4, it's super cool how God does this. God just didn't say, okay, yeah, you're going to get it. But He gives three witnesses that this is a God thing. That is huge. He provides His Spirit. Notice it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Which tells us the fact that these guys weren't necessarily gathered together in one room, one floor. But they were spread out throughout the whole house. They were just throughout the whole house. They were gathered in one place, all three floors, hanging out, just doing life, waiting for the Holy Spirit... And then suddenly, because they weren't planning on it, it was according to God's timing, He gives these witnesses. And the first manifestation of that, that giving of the Holy Spirit was a sound. Now, I remember seeing this in, in, you know, in Sunday school. It's the sound of the rushing wind. And in my mind, I always thought, you know, they're inside this house and people are hanging on to chairs, you know, like sideways, being blown throughout the house. No. The word is echos in Greek. It's kind of like our word echo, noise. It was the noise. And, and when you study it, 
the way the word is, is phrased in the language, it's a sound that you hear from a distance that is getting closer and closer and closer and closer. What kind of sound? It says violent wind. Imagine the sound of a tornado. That was the sound. It was audible to everybody, not just the ones that are in this upper room, but to all the people that were gathered in the temple precincts. We'll read about that in a moment, where they said they heard the sound. The phenomena of the Holy Spirit, this, this manifestation of the Holy Spirit was audible. They could hear it coming. you imagine those people that were gathered in this house? What in the world? Jerusalem is not in Tornado Alley. Can you imagine hearing that sound? And it's getting louder and louder and louder. They sound like a tornado. When we look at the Old Testament, we see that wind is often given to us as an illustration of the coming in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 15. It says, For behold, the Lord will come in fire and His chariots like a whirlwind to render His anger with fury and rebuke with flames of fire. And we'll see fire in the second manifestation. In Ezekiel 37, 9-10, says this, And then He said to me, Prophesy to the breath, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Note, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they would come to what? Life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet in an exceeding great army. Jesus even spoke of the Holy Spirit as being like wind. In John chapter 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't describe it, but the Holy Spirit comes. And within this, they see this manifest, or they hear this manifestation, and they don't have a clue. All they're doing is praying. All they're doing is praying, and the sound is coming. Then the second manifestation is one of sight. Again, it says, And this noise, and it filled the whole house, verse 3, and appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one. Again, you see fire in the illustration of the presence of God. The burning bush with Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, you see fire on top of the mountain, Mount Sinai. Fire being the presence of God within this. But what else is interesting about this, when you do a deep dive on the study, they, they hear the noise of the tornado coming, and then a singular form of fire enters in and then distributes itself with tongues on top of the heads of the individuals that were there. All 120, just the 12, we're not 12. So I'm going to go with everybody. Why? Because the text tells us the masses of people that are witnessed to in the temple precincts. Not just the 12. So we go with the plain text. What does it plainly say? It says that fire came and then distributed itself 
as tongues of fire upon their heads. Now, I've got a question for you, church. Would that freak you out? A little bit. I think so. Charlie, your hair's on fire. Oh, wait a minute. You don't have any hair. You look at that. Now, again, when we look at this, the word like is used. We also have to understand that they are trying to use human terms to describe the supernatural. We see that in John often when he tries to describe the thing of the apocalypse of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the, the revealing of Jesus. So was it actual fire? That was the closest thing that they could say it was like. It was like this fire that was coming upon them. But it's interesting because we see Luke using a word which is not the normal word that you would think of as a tongue of fire. The word that he uses is glossia. Have you ever heard the word glossary? Words, right? Glossia in, in Greek means it could be the tongue, the physical tongue, or it could be the dialect, right? So within this, what's super cool is this, that God says there is going to be power that comes and this power is the greatest power that you could imagine. And then all of a sudden you have this illustration of what you're supposed to do on top of your head. Speak. Glossia. Tongue. Because they would be given a gift of language to be able to speak within this. This language that is there. The other thing that I thought was very interesting. Do you remember an event way back in the book of Genesis chapter 11? When everybody was speaking one language and they decided to do something, you remember what they decided to do? Build a tower. They were building a tower. Why? They wanted to be able to get to heaven, basically on their own. They're called ziggurats. Ziggurats were part of that and they ended up being kind of like communication towers and it's just kind of a, a crazy study on your own. But you think about it. In Genesis 11 we see the conversation of the plurality of God. Let us go down and do what? Confuse their language. And the languages were all broken up so that they wouldn't be able to get together and create more evil within that. Here at the birth of the church, we see something that is interesting. Where God equips the church with many different languages to speak one message. The wondrous works of God. Do you realize that the church has been empowered throughout the globe to speak one message? We have been empowered. It doesn't matter what language you speak. If you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you speak one message. What is the message? The gospel. The wondrous works of God, empowered by the Spirit. And there is no confusion with that. In this, the birth of the church removes the confusion about who God is and allows us to connect. The third manifestation we see here is the verbal witness. It says that they were, they were filled with the Spirit, notice in verse 4, and began to speak other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterances. Within that, did they know what it was for? Nope. Again, another mind-blowing event. So they're all sitting around. They hear this big tornado come in. 
Everybody's head's on fire. And now they start talking. What do you say? That's Mandarin? That's English? That's Parthenian? Cappadocian? I don't know. What are we to do with this? And the Holy Spirit would direct them within this. This was not the uh, angelic language that, that Paul would speak of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14, which would be this divinely inspired speech that is unintelligible. No, this gifting is the intelligible language of different dialects. God gives gifts through the Holy Spirit for purpose, for meaning, and for use. And the greatest use was to access the, the ability to give a good message, a gospel message, to those that were there in the temple precincts. The birth of the church is to be able to bring the known language of God's Word to those that were out the world within this, to be that verbal witness that is there. Now, Paul would deal with all of this later, and we're on Wednesday nights, we are right here in the middle. We just finished... Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 last Wednesday, we'll be in 13 and 14 this Wednesday, where we're going to unpack tongues and the angelic version of the heavenly language or the praise language, and we'll t cover that. But this point, this infilling of the believer the Holy Spirit is the infilling the believer to be able to speak out the word, wonderful works of God, the things that are there, and to be able to give that message. Jesus said, you will go and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what? Uttermost parts of the earth. How do we do that? I don't know. I'll tell you how. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to equip you for the work. And you're going to take what you know, and you're going to take it to them and give it to them verbally. They need to understand it clearly. And so within that, this manifestation of the Holy Spirit would lead and prepare people in a magnificent way to be able to hear the gospel that Peter would preach for over 3,000 people. But it was going to be a manifestation in such a way that it would grab the masses' attention so that they would hear the word. It would prepare them and gather them together in one place so the gospel could be preached. And so within this, this is the initial act. And, and understand this clearly. If you are born again, as Jesus would describe in John chapter 3, you've asked for forgiveness of your sins. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for, for you. And you've accepted that forgiveness. And you put your faith and trust in Him. And you're born again. The Holy Spirit indwells in you at that moment. Now, are there times when you need a little bit more for the work? Yes. Paul would write in Ephesians 5.18. says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be being filled, or be filled with the Spirit we will find that throughout the book of Acts, multiple times that the disciples, the apostles, would be equipped, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them for those specific services and for those specific needs. As, as a Christ follower, when you are plugged in to the power of God, and you come across a situation, and you look at it and you go, okay, God, I don't know what to do, 
And then all of a sudden you have spiritual insight or ability or understanding or compassion to be able to encounter and, and share the work of God. That is a be being filled. I once explained it to the youth like this. You take a five-gallon bucket. You fill it with water. We call that bucket what? Filled. Full. Then we take another five-gallon bucket and we pour it into the full five-gallon bucket. What happens? It overflows. And Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow what? Torrents of living water. Being plugged in and allowing you... As a Christ follower, you will be being filled, as Paul says. Don't look to the world, but look to God within that. And that all comes through prayer. So when you come across situations and you say, Holy Spirit, I, I've got to talk to my boss. I've got to talk to this family member or whatever. And I need the power to be able to do that. I need the words to say that. I need to know what to do. You're plugging into the power and the Holy Spirit will give you that fresh perspective to be able to do this because God's empowered you to be as witnesses to the world. When verses 5 through 13, we see now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound, note verse 6, the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. So the first thing that we see is that these unbelievers were amazed by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So these devout Jews, they were here on a pilgrimage. When you would make a pilgrimage from a faraway place, you were spending a good amount of time. They could spend a couple, three weeks or whatever. So they would come into the Jerusalem precincts for whether it was Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles. They would stay in these inns in this area. But they would gather together daily within the temple precincts or the courtyards of the temple. And they would do that for prayer. Now, you hear this tornado kind of sound, and it is so incredible. You go to where? You go to where everybody else is to find out what that is. So they hear this sound, and they come into the courtyard area to be able to find out what's going on. They don't know it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Meanwhile, the followers who are indwelt by the Spirit, are leaving the upper room area and going to the temple precincts. Why? Because they're on mission. It doesn't do any good to speak with a bunch of different languages with every 120 people. Who are you going to talk to? And I got to thinking about that. They could well, you know, we're full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to sit around and all 120 of us, we're just going to have a little prayer session. No. You were empowered to go, not to stay you were empowered to go. This is incredible. Where do we need to go? We need to go where Jesus was doing all the teaching. We need to go where Jesus was doing the ministry and the miracles. And where was he doing that? The temple precincts in the courtyard. The big platform. Court of the Gentiles and that whole big area that was there. They go there. And so we have this collision of, of, of believers whose hairs are on fire. And we have these unbelievers that are gathered around going, what is going on? And then they're coming into this courtyard and you got all of these guys and, and gals that were there and they start talking. And these other ones that are from different lands going, hey, I know that language. That, they're speaking in my native tongue. I'm going to go talk to them. Do you guys see how God put this all together? Big sound, big cataclysmic event. 
the people that know what's going on are brought together with the people that don't know what's going on. You're, you're, you're speaking Cappadocian. What happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. And you have this natural occurrence of a supernatural empowering that God provided the two parties to come together to hear the words of God. The purpose of the church is not to stay within the four walls of this building, but to go out and to share. And to share especially within some of these, these things, the, what God has done. And the text tells us when they were amazed, in verse 7, they're amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They're looking at him going, you don't look like me. You, they were speaking the language. It wasn't like it was their second language. They were speaking it perfectly, and they looked at me and said, you're Galilean. How do you, how, how do you know? How can you... And they were amazed. They were amazed. God uses amazing things to get people's attention. You don't believe me? Consider Moses. Imagine looking at a bush that is burning that is not being burned up and it's talking to you. Would that blow your mind? Absolutely. God has divine appointments for you all. And He will equip you in that time to speak the words. And, and you say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, just tell them about the wonders of God. So what do we see here? Well, verses 9 through 11, we've got this list of people, this Parthenians and Medes and, and all these residents of Mesopotamia. And I got a map, and, and you're going to need a magnifying glass to see the names, so I don't expect you to see them. But, but I want you to see... Jerusalem is right there. Can you see that? Right there in Judea, right? Mediterranean Sea, Red Sea, Persian Gulf, Black Sea, right? We have Italy way over here, so Rome would be over there. So you have little bitty Jerusalem, 120, right? At the Temple Mount. You have all of these that are in red. If you can read it, you got Italy that is there, you got... Bagaria there, Pamphylia there, Cappadocia there, Pontus there, Mesopotamia there, Parthia there, Mede there, Elam there, Egypt there, Libya there. So all of this is what we would call the known world at that time. Question. Is it God's perfect timing that the gospel would be unleashed to representatives from all of these areas. What happens when the 3,000 people in Jerusalem that are representatives from all of these areas, they come to faith and the church is birthed there and they go back to their areas? What happens? The gospel is being spread worldwide. God's got a plan. And so we see these groups. The groups that are, that are all shown... Group one was Persia, the Empire, Babylonian, Parthenian. That was all in the Middle Eastern area. Group two, Judea, Cappadocia, Turkey. That was down in the south. Egypt, or the east. Egypt and Alexandria in the south. Rome way out in the corners. All of this was a witness. And what was their message? 
We hear them speak in our own tongues, verse 11, the mighty deeds of God. The mighty deeds of God. You don't have to be a great theologian. Just tell them what God's done in your life. What are the miracles that God has done in your life? Give to somebody in common language that they understand the greatness and the the phenomenal works that God has done. And let the works of God be the testimony. Let the power of the Holy Spirit make the connection between the works of God and God Himself within that. You are the messenger. And let God do that work. Now, say, well, that's awesome. That's exciting. The one caveat. In verse 13, it says, But others were mocking them, saying, They are full of sweet wine. Do not get discouraged if not everybody accepts your message. Because they won't. Not everybody in these masses would accept the message. In fact, they devalued and discredited the message. And they said that these men are drunk. Well, as Peter would say, it's like nine in the morning. Nobody drinks that early. And when was the last time? I mean, I've been around a lot of drunk people. I've not been a Christian my whole life. But I can tell you this. Drunk people babble, but not coherently. They may speak a different language, but it's not the language like that could be understood. They just chose not to accept it. And that'll be the case in your witness. Not everybody will accept your witness. Not everybody will recognize the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Do not let that discourage you. You've got one job. Be a witness. Leave everything else in the power of God in the hands of God. Luke 34, 11, as, as we understand, these words would appear to them as nonsense, as Jesus would speak, and they would not believe them. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. A natural man does not accept the, th- the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. But they are spiritually appraised. You have one job. Walk in the power of the Spirit and be a witness of God. That's your job. You can do it, but you've got to get out of the house to speak. The church has come to life. My prayer is that the church would come to life again. That we would see revival. That we would see people praying and seeking the Lord. That we would see thousands and thousands of people come to faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has done that work in the past, is doing that work now. There are places across this world, especially in the Muslim communities, where thousands of people are coming to faith. Can that happen again here in the United States? What do we need to do, church? Pray. Be empowered. And go. And allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Let's do that even now. God, we pray that You would come upon us fresh by the power of Your Spirit. That You would empower us for the work of ministry. That we would be able to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Places like Vernonia, Mist, and Goble.
Lord, we would pray that you would give to us the right language, the right speech, the right dialect to connect with people. We may both speak English, but God, you're the one that connects us heart to heart. And we trust in you for that. Lord, may you give us a message. The mighty works that you're doing in our lives. That we can testify, God, of what you are doing in our lives. And so others that want to experience that power will lean in. Most importantly, Holy Spirit, empower us to be witnesses for Jesus. That we would see thousands of people come to faith. As we close with this song, make this song your prayer, your commitment, and your desire.
that's our goal is to bring you glory and honor but we can't do that apart from the work of the spirit Lord fill us afresh this morning help us to refocus on our purpose empower us to be the witness to the world well let's go out in prayer God we thank you for all that you've given us and may the peace of God Guard our hearts and our minds. May the power of the Holy Spirit direct and guide us to those divine appointments. And God, may everything that we do today, this next week, even the totality of our lives, make you smile. We praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 10.45 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.